0: Stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three, there it is, yes! See it again. No double team help in the feed, takes it right to the rack. afternoon everybody it is saturday january 22nd all new episode of the feed to and out this afternoon this time i am joined by my bearded pal mark henry jr
1: mark what is new well uh you know i may have went to a philadelphia sporting event last night that uh did not go too positively uh but we'll get to that it's a Huge day outside of the NBA uh, in sports. You got the NFL, college basketball, uh, other NBA stuff going on. So I, my, uh, my, I'm way too much going on today, but uh, I've always got some time to complain about the Sixers and uh, also to, uh, you know, hopefully talk about some, some important Sixers things.
0: There we go. So before we get started, I don't know how many people know this, but last week I was jumping into a pool in Florida and I... I don't know what I did, but I think the, 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 the temperature shock kind of like made me swing my my head back. And I, had, I think I have whiplash, but I can only I guess this is the one time that I'll ever be able to relate to Joel Embiid and having back pain because between him carrying the team on his back and having that back pain and me having this pain in my neck and in my back. um it is not fun, and I, you know, I think Joel puts on a good face. He, you know, he smiles for the camera, but it can't be fun when you're throwing behind-the-back passes off the, off the floor, and they're bounce passes, and you're hitting Charlie Brown right in the sweet spot for a layup. The airballs is a layup when Mons gets a wide-open three on a wing off a of pick and pop, and he misses the three. Nothing. I'm sure a few things are are more demoralizing than you entrusting your teammates and not reaping the benefits of doing that.
1: Yeah. Not, it seems like he has put a, a great face on, like you said, like every time that he's had the opportunity to complain, he has done the exact opposite. And every time he's had the opportunity to blame someone else or kind of point the finger, he doesn't do it. I mean, last night is a great example. I don't have the direct quote like you would, but um, you know, someone referenced his stat line to him and he said, well, I had five turnovers and it's like, man that's what i mean that's what you want your superstar to do you want him to take accountability even when it's probably not his accountability to take so yeah uh, that's he's doing a great job but i it can't not be frustrating oh
0: for sure and i think like i forgot what the original question was but i think the retort or the the response because sometimes you'll have like within the question you'll have a back and forth where the Reporter responds to the player and pokes a little further, what what have you. I think the I think the response was like, but you had 36, you know, 40, 12, and five, whatever. And Joel immediately goes back, but I had five turnovers, which given the fact that he's has the ball enough to get 40 points and five or six assists, you have the ball an awful lot. And so five turnovers is not even that egregious of a number, but still MB points to it, whether he believes that deep down or whether it's you just saying what you know he thinks the fans want to hear because he's smart enough to do that um you know who knows but um you know I, I i it's it's a it was a brutal loss last night and i think like the the first question that comes in that, that is asked is you know doc um where do you think the game was lost last night and he goes to uh his team having uh, i believe turn the second unit committing turnovers and and um and not being able to score well the second unit had two turnovers total the team had seven as as a team and all five of the seven came from joel so literally two guys on the team committed turnovers the entire night so you can't like that feels like an answer that is an immediate safety pin i'm gonna answer this i don't really know if it's accurate or not but i'm gonna put it out there because whatever it's easy to say so if that answer was so easy to give when, when he's asked what part of the loss could you attribute to coaching? You know, he gives a different answer and, you know, I don't want to get into it too much. I, I it was my question, of course. Um, and, you know, Doc's under fire a lot with, with publicly because of this. Um, I will say this, like, I think as a human being, when you're put in a spot where you, you know, your work fails or when something like that happens and you know, you're put on, on, on the hot seat like that. I think sometimes you have, you know, humans are going to have a tendency to sometimes say things where as soon as it comes out of their mouth, they're like, Oh, I regret that. Like, you know, so I, I don't, I wouldn't blame doc if, if that was the case. The problem is given his trend, you know, in, in previous stops and, and, you know, in, in, even in Philly, I don't know that that's not truly how he thinks about himself. Which is, which 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 is a problem because it begs the question of how many times in the past and how many times in the future will you fail to look inward and reflect on yourself and get better when things go bad, and it was a problem with the end of last season at, in the in, in the playoffs. It's a problem this season, obviously problem in seasons past, and according to um, Law Murray who I think covers the Clippers for the athletic when the Clippers players heard the post game or saw the post game comments from doc, they let, they were happy and laughed it off and laughed it off. So it tells you a little something there. Um, not great. <laughs> not not great, but um, I'm curious as to your thoughts. <laughs>
1: um, so it, it's funny. So uh, my first thought is just that I, I want to say that it's very funny that this ended up being Austin um, that Doc kind of sniped back at because me and Austin, like I said, last time I came on, we agree a lot and we also disagree a lot. I would say one of the things that me and Austin have disagreed on is Doc Rivers and anyone who follows me or knows me, I am supremely negative on Doc Rivers and I'm not a fan of his work as a coach. And this did not help that did not change until last night it, no it certainly <laughs> did not I don't, it, I don't think it went
0: in the right direction after last night
1: <laughs> no it, it certainly did not but it's funny because I, I think austin has been more than fair to doc uh since he has started as a sixer since he uh you know since the moment he was hired i i think austin has been more than fair to doc and i i you know it's shocking to me uh that, that doc had that response when i didn't think that it was i thought it was a a pretty innocuous question about the fact that your team blew a 24 point lead. Is there anything you could have done differently? Is, can you attribute this loss to coaching is kind of the question. And you know, when he, when he kind of snapped a couple of weeks ago at Keith Pompey, I excuse that personally. And anyone who follows me, listen to me on everything's fine. Hurt. I excuse that because I do think Keith has kind of had a negative slant towards doc and the Sixers in general. And I thought, you know, that maybe that's Doc factoring in his personal opinion of someone into the question. And I'm now I kind of look back at that and I, I kind of think I was misjudging it. I kind of think Doc just gets upset after losses and kind of lashes out. That's where I'm at at this point. And he has no accountability. He he wants everyone to know that it's not Doc's fault, in my personal opinion. I, I the thing I said about Joel Embiid and how accountable he was and how he was willing to say something, like you said, even if he didn't believe it, even if that's not in his heart of hearts why Joel thinks they lost last night, he still said it. And Doc can't do the same thing. Doc can't do the Andy Reid where he goes, oh, well, you know, I did a bad job and I'll take ownership for the team and I need to do a better job. You'll never hear that from Doc. It's just not how he's wired. And I, like you said, I, I, I think that's a problem because when you have these, this many collapses, and it's not just as a Sixers, this is not a Sixers-Doc Rivers issue. This is why I was upset when they hired him. It dates back to the Celtics. You can look at the Celtics, you can look at the Clippers, you can look at the last decade. And he has these issues. And like you said, that he has not looked inward and tried to do something differently when he feels a big lead slipping away. It's it's it was a replay of the Hawks game five. It really was a, a replay in terms of how the game slipped away, and he did nothing differently. And the definition of insanity is to do the same thing again and again and expect a different result. And that's where I'm at right now with Doc Rivers. So I mean I think there are like a couple of distinctions. Like number one,
0: and 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 I've, and I've gotten a ton of support from fellow reporters and fans and like yada yada yada, and I appreciate it. Uh, I always had fans say it was an out of line and uh, it was an it was an inappropriate question. Um, to which I say I don't apologize for anything that I asked because it was a perfectly reasonable question to ask. And if you want to, if if you if you want to, you know, cap for Doc, by all means, take the credential and go. Take my credential and go. You know, uh, kisses behind. Uh, I, I don't care. Um, you know, I'm not apologizing for that. But um, I do think like they the say, say, well, he had a 24-point lead. And, you know, how, how can he – you know, what do you expect him to do when you had to play Charlie Brown for Colin Corkmaz and Isaiah Joe? Well, he had a 24-point lead in the game. Not not just he. The entire team had a 24-point lead in the game. So clearly something was right. And then it wasn't right. And then it continued to go in the wrong direction. It wasn't like it was tied throughout and the Clippers pulled out the last second. That would, that would, that would be fine. That would be – you know, there are reasons to think – that happens. Okay. It's fine. You are up twenty four points in the third quarter, and you lost the game by a point to a team that was without two of its best players. And meanwhile, and I've I've credit I think to Stephen Jones or Steve Jones who did a great Twitter thread on this. You could see LA's adjustments, and you could see him, you know, and you could see how Tyloo is moving chess is moving chess piece after chess piece and the Sixers are, are responding, you know, with every third move they you know, they, they're responding on their own. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's not good enough. And, and last night it hurt them. And again, three of, you know, doc can't make guys shoot better than six twenty-two. That That's just guys not shooting the ball. Well, um, and, you know, they, they had some defensive breakdowns. I think most notably, like they were in drop and cork moz slid over a little far and help. And then that left, uh, Luke Kennard open for a three. That's just, that's just one example of numerous lapses mentally that I can't say like Doc's at fault for Maz being in help when you were in drop coverage and you don't need that help. Um, but it's a trend. And I think what it comes down to, and I think Derek Bott has written, written on this before, is I think this is a guy who um, feels that media of all – shapes, sizes, backgrounds, whatever, ages are not qualified to question him on basketball. And I don't think anyone's doing that. I don't think anyone's saying, like, what are your qualifications for this job? But as part of our job as reporters, we have to think about what what do the fans want to know? And when you go 24-point lead, they want to know why the entire team did it. And Doc is part of that team. And if he gets... Part of the credit for winning games, he also gets part of the credit for losing games.
1: Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And I I think Kevin Kincaid uh, wrote a good piece on Crossing Broad as well uh, about the situation. And he compared it to when he asked in, in the playoffs last year if it was going to be a worthwhile. Strategy to maybe bench Ben at the end of games if to try to avoid Hack-a-Ben situations, and Doc basically, you know, publicly criticized Kevin Kincaid and said he didn't play ball or whatever. I, I don't remember the exact quote again, but he he, you know, he killed the question and he tried to kill the reporter's credibility in that case, in my opinion. And uh, and he did. The, he ended up three days later, I think, two games later. He benched Ben. So and Kevin Kincaid basically said, like, so that was, you know, that was BS. And yeah, it's there's a lot of examples of that dating not just with the Sixers, like I said. All of these issues are Doc issues dating back to the Clippers days. And you look at how those Lob City teams fell apart and how all those guys seem to feel about Doc now. And it's I, I think that the proof is in the pudding with Doc and the fact that he you know the fact. I think the the response says so much. Uh, what he said, uh, would you ask Pop that question? Uh, when he said that, I, I I couldn't believe it because you are not Greg Popovich, man. Like I, I Doc Rivers, you know he won a ring. Let's let's give him that credit, and I'm not trying to take that away. And you know I, I'm not even gonna do the thing where I say that his GM won it for him by getting. Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett for pennies to pair with Paul Pierce who he was not doing great with just Paul Pierce for a long time but I I would say that you know he won a ring and that's hard to do he probably should have won more with the team he had in Boston but he didn't and then you look at what he did in LA and the repeated failures Greg Popovich has five rings spanning over like three different eras of Spurs basketball basically like he was basically able to to do it at the beginning, and then he did it again probably like four or five years later. And then when, with Kawhi growing him later on in the older Duncan era, the older Tony Parker and Manu, they ended up winning another ring. Doc Rivers has shown the ability to lead a team to a championship one time. And, and that was a really long time ago. And he expects Philadelphia fans and Philadelphia reporters to basically tail to a championship ring from 13 years ago. And it, like, if, if you think about what he's basically saying when he says he's earned that and maybe he just means 20 years of coaching or 30 years of coaching, whatever. Maybe he just means the amount of time he's been in the game. But in my opinion, I think a success and, you know, maybe he doesn't measure success by just rings, but, but he has one ring and we're supposed to kowtow. That happened the same year that the Philadelphia Phillies won the world series. Like just to give some retrospective for how long ago that is like, Phillies fans I know that I joke with, we joke about how, like, you know, that team still trots that team out there to try to get any goodwill and how they've been doing that for years now. That was 13 years ago. Like, this yeah. this title Doc won was so long ago. I, I, it's, it's just a lot of respect for something that happened a really long time ago that he's expecting.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I think part of it was, like, he was refer- probably referring to his um, – his you know regular season resume because i think he's like what 10th all-time in wins or whatever but if you're if, if if your recognition is based on regular season wins i'm so, like what do you want? you want you want a banner of regular season wins like that's not, that's not how this is a business of championships you're judged by your rings um and so you know i five is better than one but you know that's all i'm gonna say on that matter and um you know, I I've always said the pop is the best coach in the league because, and, and really maybe in history because he's adapted his himself through various different eras of, of, of NBA basketball. He never once got stuck in, you know, his own, his own way of playing or his old, or, you know, this is the way I've always coached, or this is the way that they played back when I was in playing. So this it's never going to play. He's adapted and adjusted and, and won in every era he's coached in pretty much. So I give him a lot of credit for that and being the humble enough and, and and, and get, being able to get through to his players enough over and over again to do that, um, but yeah, I mean it, it's it's a it's an unfortunate situation. Uh, you know, again, I mean, I, I'm not ex- I, I I'm not gonna say sit here like I'm owed an apology. I'm not like to- like, like like not at all, and I wouldn't expect one either. Um, it's it's not it isn't a big deal. It really isn't a big deal. Um, but it just kind of think gives you a glimpse into the way that the human being thinks of themselves and I think that might be part of the problem as to why in the past there's a history of doc having you know blown leads um, and you know and it's not just him it's his team of course but there it, it's it's happened over and over again with different players so what, what does that tell you um so there's that um but anyway moving on um, to things that are less about me because I don't want to make this about, uh, you know, what happened last night. Um, I'll learn well, from it. I, could, I could have asked a better, I think I could have asked a better, more direct question, but besides that, that's all I got to say about the matter.
1: Just, just real quick to finish it off on, on my end. I personally, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the question. And I think if it was more specific, I, I, I think that he would have had a, a, a similar, I think he was just going to answer it that way. If you, if anyone tried to doubt his coaching, in my opinion, and I do think it's good that Um, instead of the kind of the way that he did with Keith or the way that he did with Kevin, where he attacked their credibility. Um, I I feel like he didn't do that with you. I I still thought it was disrespectful in my personal opinion and how to handle the media as a, as a public figure. And as a guy who makes money to deal with the media and makes money because of like, I, I just always am bothered by players and I'm not, you know, you know me, like I'm not looking for a press pass. Like I'm not a media guy. Like that's not who I am, but I'm always bothered by coaches and players, not, respecting the media, because, you know, if the media wasn't covering the sport, and if this sport wasn't televised, and there wasn't extra conversation after the games about what happened, then the money that you guys are paid would not be there. The The, the money is there because there's interest. And interest is there because the media, you know, kind of directs you in the way to, to watch the games and what to follow. And I, I, I think that, the way that you know you you treat the media does say a lot, but uh, I, I thought that it was good that he didn't. You know, it, it just I think it was just a kind of a lashing out, and I think that that's a theme uh, with Doc Rivers. And you know, hopefully we don't see another twenty four point uh, collapse during Doc's tenure here. I have a feeling we will, but uh, it, it, the one thing I'll say is just it's incredibly disappointing as a Sixers fan. To try to think about which twenty-four point blown lead was more embarrassing in the last <laughs> seven months, like that's that's an embarrassing thought. I actually think it was this one, by the way. Yeah,
0: um, I don't even know anymore. It, it, they all they all blend together. Um, the Hawks have
1: good players, at least.
0: <laughs> they had not not anymore. They don't.
1: But, yeah, that's true.
0: But um, I, I think that the best. Way, I'll end it here. Like the best way to I can put it is it is as much my responsibility as a journalist covering the team to ask that question as it is his responsibility as a coach making millions of dollars to give a professional and and honest response to that question. Um, So, I mean, I, I, that's all I, that's all I really, that's the best way I can summarize the way that I think I feel about the situation. Um, agree more. but anyway, yeah. to actual basketball on this podcast, we talk <laughs> about that a little bit. Um, the Sixers are 26 19 after last night's debacle. Um, they lost to the Wizards on Monday. They beat the uh lowly, the lowly Magic, Magic on Wednesday. Yeah. They lose to the Clippers last night. They did beat the Heat last weekend, which was a nice win. Um, but uh, yeah, um, right now they're 26 and 19 with a differential of 1.8. And I think that's a really important thing to note um, point differential. Cause I think that tells as much an accurate story about what your team truly is as anything. And when you're 26 and 19 with a differential of 1.8, that means to me that you're probably a little lucky in your record and that You've had a couple calls go your way. You've had a couple shots go your way. A couple different, a couple team uh, opponents made mistakes or missed shots. Things have gone your way more often than not, and that's why your record is where it is, and not just you sheerly outplaying and outperforming you know teams on a night basis. I mean, look at the Bulls. Bulls were dominant for for like you know a while. Then now the twenty eight and sixteen with a two point, the plus two point two point differential. People, I think, would argue that they are played above their heads for a, good, a a good portion good portion of that early schedule and maybe not coming back down to earth. Um, the Celtics have a differential of plus 1.5 they are 23 and 24. The Raptors plus 0. 0.9 the 22 and 21. So I think what, the, what what my my point here is that point differential I think is probably a probably better indicator of where your team is and I think right now the Sixers are trending towards a team that's closer to being about being around 500, maybe a little better than 500, than they are being a team that has the potential to really take over the Eastern Conference and finish with a high seed. And I mean, right now they're three games back of the one seed, not bad at all. Um, Durant's out for a while. Kyrie's availability is going to be hit or miss all season long. The Bulls are reeling. The Heat are getting better. The Bucks are underperforming. There's still a lot of time for the Sixers to come back and 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 you know get into a home court advantage situation or even claim a top three seed. It's not out of the, out of the question they could do that. They certainly could do that. Um, but when you have losses like last night, you have losses like you had against the, the heat in Philly, you have losses like you did against the Hawks in Philly,
1: Charlotte, the Charlotte loss, Charlotte loss.
0: Th- that, that they were never quite in, which I mean, that happens, but you know, they, they just looked like un- unready to play, yeah. but there are games that you should win that you haven't win You haven't won. And those add up. Those add up fl- flat out. Um, I mean, if they if they win that heat game in Philly, the heater are th- are, would be twenty eight and eighteen. Sixers would be twenty seven and eighteen. That's a half game difference right there. So that 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 one loss changes where they are in the standings. And it's eighty two game season, long season. Of course, which we all say
1: over and over again, but those losses add up. Yeah, and to your point on point differential, um, I, I, I'll point out it says nothing. The Wizards are, are the perfect example. They're at a minus 1.5, and it's because if you look at their uh, games in clutch time I believe that they're like 18-5 and five in games that are decided by 5 or less points so mm-hmm. the Wizards have been extremely lucky that's why they're the 9C that's why they're hanging around and I would say that the you know the Sixers realistic record is probably closer to you know 24-21 and 21. instead it's 26-19 and 19. but um, in, in terms of point differential we are still 6th in, in the East and like you said there is a lot of time left and there you know some of these teams are vulnerable especially Cleveland right in front of us with the injuries that they've had I mean they're still plugging along but but uh, they have they they obviously lost Sexton Rubio um, and they're really hanging on by a thread. Meaning, the f- like they need everything they can get out of Garland and Mobley and Allen, and they're getting it right now. But uh, we'll, we'll see how long that can hold on for. I, I think the goal for the Sixers has to be to get that four seed. It has to be to get at, at least a home court advantage in the first round and give yourself a chance to to win in the first round. And that's going to be tough because. Brooklyn might be vulnerable, KD might be hurt, but they're the one seed, and I think that that speaks a lot to how good of a job they've done. Uh, you know, when they were missing Kyrie, and in the games they've missed Harden, in the games they've missed KD, uh, it's impressive that they're the one seed. Chicago, they're reeling, really, they're the two seed. Uh, they're they're you know, uh, I know it's not that much differential. There's two and a half games, but uh, I, I don't think that we're catching up to Brooklyn or Milwaukee. So you really have to hope that one of Chicago or Miami fall off. I do think that they will end up passing Cleveland. Uh, but the goal has to be to try to get a home court advantage against one of those, you know, Chicago or Miami teams uh, in that four or five matchup.
0: Do you, I'll,
1: I'll, I'll, this is the way I think about
0: it, especially given Daryl's comments on the Missinelli show this week. Do you really think the Sixers care about whether no they get a four or a five seed? I think right now the way that they operate is what are our chances of winning a title this year? Oh, it's this. Then is it? Do we really give a fuck if it if we're the four seed or the five seed? Answer: No, they don't because they know they don't have a chance anyway, or they know that it doesn't dramatically cha- it doesn't dramatically change their odds of winning a series. By the way, I, I would also add in Sixers are ten and ten at home and sixteen and nine in away, so wow. they might even be a better road team than home team anyway. Yeah. So who really? I mean, I mean, like what what do we know? Um But yeah, I mean, I think the record the record's obviously pretty impressive. Um, and I think this season, if anything, has taught me that it's way easier to become a good team when you have a situation where a guy isn't playing all season long, because you learn how to adapt and come together and gel into that hole that is missing that player, than you do when the guy misses one game and to figure that out. Mm-hmm. So I think the Sixers are basically they basically they figured out how to win without Ben Simmons, and it's become part of their identity now, where it isn't just this, you know this, 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 this positive stretch for them. They have a six game winning streak this season. They have a seven game winning streak this season. Um, you know, they, 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 they've done fine, I think, but you look that you look up and down this roster and like Charlie Brown jr. Playing a lot of playing 20, whatever minutes last night, missing a lot of layups uh, for Cork mods has given them nowhere near enough um, th- th- this season. I would not be surprised if he's not here after the deadline. Although, gun to my head, I, I think there's a there's probably a better chance than people realize of Ben being here and Tobias
1: not being here after the deadline. Wow, um, that's interesting. I I would be really surprised to see Tobias traded without Ben. I think just because I I, I can't see the situation that's saying they want to buy in on Tobias without. Maybe, maybe it would be a Tobias and Matisse situation. Who, who knows even what they're – I'm sure Daryl is going to look into any and all possibilities. Um, and I trust Daryl to figure out what, You know whatever he's going to figure out. But, it, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least a move made that makes Furcon mass a little – bit less important uh, and it makes Charlie Brown and uh, Isaiah Joe a little bit less important. And obviously Matisse and Danny being healthy would push them in, in the rotation, but we were still seeing Charlie Brown um, play at, at, at times anyway. So uh, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I, you know, I, I do kind of think that there is legs to the Sacramento um offer i, I don't well, think
0: there Dar- are a lot of legs a lot of legs that yeah
1: idea. yeah I, I don't think daryl would say on radio that yeah i think there's a trade possible with sacramento without <laughs> without there being a trade possible with sacramento and i thought that that it seems like you know everyone's gonna pick up on daryl saying ball sack everyone's gonna pick up on daryl um you know saying the things he did about ben and, and wanting him back everyone's gonna pick up on the things that he said about there only being one reliable reporter in the city, which is obviously Austin Krell. Um, and, but I thought that the most telling thing was that he was being revealing about the Sacramento thing. Yeah, like, ah, there you no go. No one's talked about that. About everyone's talked about the interview. Like I just listened to a national podcast talk about it. I just listened to a local podcast talk about it. No one's talking about that. He's getting. He got so specific and he got very honest. And everyone's focusing on the you know the clickbaity parts of the interview.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean I was surprised by that too. I think um I, I, I'll say this. I think a Sacramento deal is probably closer than Daryl would indicate. He said like like he said um, you know, these deals typically don't even come up and don't even like get within a range until the deadline. I think that was all his way of saying, like, we're ready to deal with you, Sacramento. You need to meet our, our offer. This is this is where we are. It's not changing. And if you want Ben Simmons, better hurry up because we're getting close here. Um, and I think basically, and I think this is really smart of him because he said, for Joel, we have to get this right, which is his way of saying to the fans, I know you want to trade. I know you're tired of hearing about Ben Simmons. I know you want the guy gone and whatnot. If the best thing For Joel, if you love Joel and you want him to win a championship here, the best thing to do is be patient and wait. That was essentially what he was saying when he said, for Joel, we had to to get this right. So um, I don't think he has any problem waiting it out because I think that he, in his heart of hearts, he knows that whether they're a four seed or a five seed, that's probably as far as Joel can get him by himself and their championship odds are not changing too drastically whether they're that home team or they're that away team throughout the playoffs. Um I think for that reason, they're fine. I think Joel's on board with it too. I think he recognizes I need to get an adequate guy back in order for, for this team to have a chance with me here. Um And, you know, I, that was the first time really this week when Joel gets 50, he gets, you know, the game last night. It was the first time that I really like kind of thought about like this team, this team could be special. And Ben is perfectly happy, perfectly happy to not be a part of it, which is selfish in a way because you could be helping this team get over to the top. And instead, you you're, you're thinking about holding out. You're doing what's best for Ben Simmons, um, which which is a, it's a shame, but it's the way it is. Um, but going back to MB because we talk a lot about Doc and you know this and that. Um, he had a really slow start to the season. He said I, on Wednesday. That when he hurt his, 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 when he got kneed by uh, Jonas Valanciunas in the first game of the season in, in New Orleans, mm-hmm. that he couldn't really move. And so he couldn't get lift under his shot. And that was why he struggled early part of the year. Um, he has gotten back up to like with basically right at where he was last season, which is terrifying uh, for the rest of the NBA. Right now he's averaging 28.4 points per game, 49.8 from the field, 39.1 from three. 81.4 from the free throw line um, also averaging by far a career high in assists turnovers are about, you know, where they were the last two years, a little better this year, um, certainly better than his career average. So he's gotten better as a playmaker, but really his scoring is exactly where it was last year. And the efficiency is there too. Um, the league's average effective field goal is 52.3. He's at 53.4. So he's blowing that out of the water. True shooting is at 61.5. League average is uh, 55.7. So he's basically not only scoring efficiently, also shooting efficiently too, which is a major, major, major thing for for, for him to be able to do. Um, and I think that's why we can have the MVP conversation about Jokic and Durant and this guy or that guy. If MB keeps this up, I don't see how you don't give him MVP.
1: Yeah, I, I can see how they won't. Because, uh, yeah. because yeah
0: there's, there's not other, other narratives out there
1: yeah they're not going to but i, I can't see how he won't deserve it if, if he continues this and you said that this is the the first time you really kind of sat back and considered like ben could make this team special and uh, and obviously I, i'm totally there with you um but i i personally don't think ben would make this team special but even putting that aside for me Recently, this string, this string of Joel games, and I think it even started with the last time I came on this podcast, which was the first day that the Sacramento rumors really started to pick up steam because we talked about Halliburton and all the different trade packages when I came on. And it really, starting with that and then these Joel string of games, it really kind of made me realize like kind of the same thing Daryl said, where it's like maybe it changes the bar from needing a top 25 guy to a top 40 guy and maybe a couple other guys who fit well around Joel. Uh, since in Daryl's words, Joel is hoisting us in the competition based on sheer, you know, talent alone on his own. So I I, I think that there is something to be said for the fact that I think me and you for a long time were on the same lengths of being like it needs to be a star. And we weren't listening to kind of the Brogdon, the the McCollum's, even the Halliburton's back then, the De'Aaron Fox type offers back then because uh, we didn't think that that was the piece that could put us over the top speaking for you uh, as well as me here. But I'm finally starting to think about offers like Halliburton with Barnes and with Buddy and you, you throw Tobias in there to get off that salary. And it really does start to make me think like, huh, you, you, you look at that rotation, you kind of write it down on paper. You look at the kind of how it fits together and it's, it's hard not to get excited and, it, it kind of makes you think like would the Kings with if you just put Joel and Beat on the Kings are the Kings like a 55 win team? Ooh. Like a six I they're I really I think they're probably really good.
0: Are you saying just Joel and every other piece remains the same? Yeah.
1: They're probably exactly. better,
0: they're probably better than the Sixers are right now.
1: Oh, for sure. I think for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're probably a 50 to 60
1: win team. I mean, that's the impact that he has hundred percent. No, I, I, and that's, that's my rebuttal to everyone out there. That's like, Oh, why are we trading for the Kings players with Ben and Tobias? If they, you know, if they were going to be winners, they'd be winners. And it's like, well, that I mean, is I, a fucking, I can't stand people. Can't go, stand but if
0: he was going to get traded for value, he would buy now. Like that does, that's not how this works. What was true yesterday is not true today. All the time. It, it's, 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 it's not a vacuum we live in here, people. It's the most it's the most annoying comment people make. Like, like, like I get you're tired of hearing about Ben Simmons. I get it. I get it. You're gonna hate your life as a Sixers fan if you trade the guy for pennies and the cap for the team is second round of the playoffs. Because I got news for you. If they do that and Joel realizes that. He can easily say, I've had enough. I went out. And then you're right back where you started eight years ago
1: with nothing to gain from it. But my, my point is kind of – I think that there's a certain group of people that hear that rumor and they're like, oh, that's not good enough because those Kings players are bad on the Kings. And if you put them with Joel, uh, yeah. we won't be over the top. And it's kind of like, have you guys seen Joel lately? <laughs> like, <laughs> If you put a couple really good players who fit well and shoot threes at a high clip and at a high percentage, at a high efficiency – I don't know what this what the ceiling is because I think that that's how good Joel is and, uh you know it, it's hard not to be uh, not to be intrigued by wanting to just put shooters uh, around him and I there's also I, I think that yeah the the people that are like oh Darryl has misplayed his hand I, Sean Brace uh, said it the other day when he had me on Fox PHL The Gambler he's and just I saying do the
0: deal do do yeah. It. Like, get me B.J. Johnson or Bryce Johnson, guy that, yeah, guy that Mike Wilbon wanted. Good yeah. deal. Good deal. Uh,
1: but, uh, my, my response is I think everyone can agree that in terms of, like, what seems like the, the reported offers that we've gotten, I think this last one's the most interesting. I think getting off the bias and getting all these pieces from the Kings, I think that's the most interesting reported offer. So doesn't that alone tell you that Daryl's strategy to wait has been smart? since we just got the best of offer we've gotten so far. I, exactly. That's, that's the point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, we have our first comment of the day. <laughs> fire rivers. <laughs> I don't disagree. There we go. Uh, yeah. People, I, I got you. I don't think they're going to fire him midseason. season. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I don't even think they're going to fire him this off season. Honestly, I don't. Um, oh, yeah. But that's besides the point with um I think like I don't think this is so crazy to say. Like Embiid's gotten much better as a passer, but just because he's forced himself to. What happens if you get guys who will cut off the ball? What happens if you get guys that like won't shoot one of six from three? Like last night, I literally in my in my game story, my game column, glorified niang because at least he got off six threes you can't say that about most of the guys in the roster they won't shoot six threes so the fact that niang shot six through three quarters even though he only made one at least they have a guy who will chuck them they don't have a guy that'll chuck them that's a that's a big problem with the roster construction and the fact that i have to give him credit for taking six instead of castrating him for only making one is a fault in the roster construction in itself so and that's
1: that's why I've been high on Niang and Green. That's yes, why I, that's why yes. I have celebrated them when a lot of the fan base has not they, they've kind of put them down. They've kind of acted like Danny Green. Oh, he's lost it or George Niang. Oh, he's a chucker. These guys are the only guys who are willing to shoot the threes when you watch Seth Curry, who I love pass up on open threes when you watch Tobias Harris, try to do the Carmelo Anthony game that he thinks he has and pass up on open threes. It's frustrating, and so I, I'm not. I'm not upset when Niang takes a a three in the corner where he has separation. Would I like to see a couple go down? Yeah, of course. But uh, Niang, I I didn't have a problem with how Niang played last night at all. The shots just didn't fall.
0: Yeah, and and that's like with my own with my own dad. I'm like, um, I'm like he's, he's like that. Niang stinks. That uh, Isaiah Joe stinks. Um, and I'm Isaiah like Isaiah Joe needs to shoot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like, the, thing, the thing with Isaiah Joe is this. And like people, people, people don't like always understand this. But when you're a young guy like that, and you're one, three games in, out of the rotation, and the next game you're in for 18 minutes, and then you're starting the next night, and then you're out of rotation again. You have to, as a shooter, you have to get your feet back under yourself and get your and, and getting the rhythm of game speed and and you know adjust to getting your shot off in game speed. That that's what happens when you have a coach who doesn't trust young guys and will give them their opportunities, you know, in, intermittently. Whereas if you're a guy on a team where they're go- they're trending towards younger and they have time to, de- they have time to develop linearly. They're going to show a progression because they're going to have time to, you know, have bits and pieces of exposure. They're going to figure out their spot. They're going to get figured out where they're comfortable and they're going to be able to build on, on, on something. Whereas Isaiah Joe is thrust into the game that they're not playing for four weeks or three or you know, four days and, you know, has to play 18 minutes, and that's a lot sometimes for a young guy. That's not easy to do by any st- standard, and especially when your job is just to throw a a, a small ball through a wood through a metal basket uh, from 28 feet out or 18 feet out you know, with a hand in your face. That's not easy to do. Um, and I get the whole argument for well, you got to stay ready and whatnot. Like, sure, that's a cute. Like, it's a great little, like, you know, story, and it's an adorable way of, like, glorifying, you know, the, the rise from role player to being an impact player. It doesn't happen for everybody. It doesn't happen like that all the time. Sometimes you need a little bit more development, a little more growth, and a little more opportunity. So the whole judgment of did the shot go in or did it not go in is a bullshit way of
1: looking at basketball. It's, it's, it's too binary. 100%. And, and that's why I'm – I mean, I've said time and time again that Isaiah Joe is more exciting to me as a potential rotation piece than a Charlie Brown or a Furkan Korkmaz uh, if Furkan's not hitting 40% of his threes. Uh, Isaiah Joe is a lot he more – he's, he's not hitting 30% of his threes. No, he's not, and that's why I don't want to see him play. And you know that I've you know been a bigger Furkan apologist than anyone because, he, again, he was someone I probably apologized for for far too long because he was a willing three-point shooter on a team that didn't have them. So I I can admit that I was probably a little too positive on Furkan for a long time, just because for the same reason, I probably am too positive on Niag now. Like, I, I like these guys that are at least confident enough and willing enough to shoot threes. Furkan's not coming close at this point to even hitting the threes. That's why it's like it's not just like a is he making it's not a make or miss thing with him. It doesn't look good and uh, it's it's sloppy. It it was he was really bad last night and uh, he was truly, truly terrible last night. And so was Charlie Brown. I know Charlie Brown was a plus 20 and I, I actually think he played good defense like defense. And he's he's an NBA defender. He's an NBA athlete. The, the lack of awareness on offense and the in, the inability to make a layup at, you know, a wide open layup is it's disqualifying in, in my opinion from being an NBA player. Yeah. There are certain, like there's a
0: certain standard that you have to have. Like people, pe- you, you can't compare Matisse, Thiebel to ben mm-hmm. Simmons in terms of their development of jump shooters, because one has set a standard of play where without shooting a jump shot, you can get to a certain ceiling. That's pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Um, Without the other one, you, you literally can't function as a basketball team sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, so you, that's why you can't compare them regardless of, 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 their jump shooting. Um, you know, this differences, but you know, I, like people get on Danny green for the, the whole three point shooting, like, 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 you know, what does he do for us? You know, yada, yada, yada. He's a better help side defender than anyone who gives him credit for being. and, at least he makes like 38 to 40% of his threes. And even if he does the occasional chuck in transition, I don't really have a problem with that because at least you have somebody who's willing to put pressure on your your defense to step up. And I mean, like, I don't want to basically overblow the value of a guy making one shot, but if you have somebody who is so high on themselves as a shooter, if you shoot enough shots, the help defense is going to – Pay that guy attention because even if he's not hitting them he's confident enough in himself to take the shots and that means that he's probably a decent enough shooter um if when, when he catches on and even if he's shooting oh of six it puts it in your head i better step one inch closer to him so that i can get like, a test on him and that one inch can be enough to open up the lane for NBA.
1: Unless you're Mo Bamba against the Sixers, and then you got to make six before the team well, that adjusts. Was, that that was a done. lot of that was awful. That was a lot of Drummond. That was a lot. By the way, Drummond
0: last like I will credit this. Doc saw Drummond like he was like he was throwing underhanded layups and tripping <laughs> over himself and airballing the layups and just like could not get anything going. He's like, all right, I've had enough of this. We're gonna get, get, get you out of there and get Embiid back in. Um, but yeah, um, let's go. So. Last night, I felt like they ran a lot of pick and roll with Maxi, but I still don't feel like they use him enough in the right in, in 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 the right role. Like he's so much faster than everybody. And by the way, before we go any further on Maxi, you know there's a problem with Tobias when he has Luke Kennard on an isolation and can't can't blow by Luke Kennard. Luke he had him on he had him on an isolation in the wing in the first quarter to close out the close out the quarter. And he was, like, jabbing, and then he's like, I'm going to take two dribbles left, come back right, and try to blow by. And he couldn't, and he settled for a fadeaway jumper. So that right there tells me that something is not is probably not right with Tobias.
1: I, I roomed with a Pistons fan. It's just, like, it's funny to say this. I roomed with a Pistons fan in college, like a diehard Pistons fan. It's, it's really funny. Um, and he, like, blogged for, like, a fan-sided or something. And to think about, like, the fact that he was, like, I think at the same time getting excited about Tobias Harris and Luke Kennard as, like, a part of the Pistons' future. And then last night, Tobias couldn't beat Luke Kennard off the dribble. But uh, it's – yeah, Tobias Harris is in a funk. And honestly, that was the best Tobias Harris game I've seen in a long time. Right? I, I mean, we were saying
0: that in the press room after the game. Like, we, were, I, I turned around to Kyle and I said – it's a shame that they wasted a, nine, a 20 yeah. point night from Tobias when he actually played some pretty good decent defense like he he was mostly fine last night I felt and he actually ran the, the zone offense
1: pretty well yeah, no, he, he actually, he was someone who was getting points. I'd actually, I'd love to see like the breakdown of when he scored his points, but I do think he was actually getting some points in the third and the fourth when we were needing points and when we were really struggling and giving the game up. He was one of the only guys that was seeming to make anything happen. I know that Maxi didn't score until, like, I think it was late in the third quarter uh, until he's, he had 14 at halftime. And I'm I'm trying to look through the play-by-play here. I don't think Max – yeah, Maxi scored with 41 seconds left in the third quarter. He went 12 minutes and he played the entire third quarter. He went the first 11 minutes and 20 seconds of the third quarter without scoring. I think he only took one or two shots if I if I saw correctly in there too. That's not enough. Maxi is a guy that especially when during the third quarter when that was part of the lead slipping away, Doc has to know like, okay – Whatever's not working with Tobias, our threes aren't falling. Joel's not in the game, or Joel is gassed right now and about to get out of the game in the third quarter. Let's run something for Maxi. And that hasn't happened yet. Like, Doc has not accepted, I think, that Maxi's the second best player on this team. And I think the sooner that happens, the more the team's offense will struggle less in situations like this because Maxi is instant offense. And I know that we've seen that a lot without Joel on the floor, it seems like Maxie's best minutes that we've ever seen have been with the bench unit and have been with Drummond surprisingly, but it seemed in the first half, like they were finally starting to kind of mesh together. It, it seemed like Joel and Maxie were playing off of each other in a way that is not very common for them. And it really seemed to wane in the second half and they didn't go back to it whatsoever. It's, it felt like, and I, I just didn't think Maxie was given enough, you know, uh, you know enough onus to create offense in, in that second half uh like he was clearly in the first half
0: yeah um let me ask you this did you notice anything about Maxie's jump shot that was different
1: no not really i was sitting high up though i'm in the chief seats oh, you you' you're down there you're down there uh you can feel the sweat bouncing off him on a fast break uh, Where am i where i am
0: i can hear guys yelling yeah <laughs> <laughs> So no, it is. It is like you're like like oh shit!
1: He actually said that. Like my hey, my, <laughs> my girlfriend was trying to spot you. We were like we were sitting like above where you guys were. So I was like I mean, we were like trying to find like where you were, and then I think we found you. But
0: yeah. it, it was fun. Look for the guy with the the, the nice cardigan and a bad haircut.
1: <laughs>
0: but um, but I've noticed I noticed this last night, and it worries me a little bit. Like. When he, he he's grown so much as a shooter and he was getting into the middle of the lane and then he felt like the pressure of a bigger defender on him. He was rising up for jumpers, but he was releasing it on the way up instead of at the top of his jump, That's which true. is a which is a deviation from his regular mechanics. Usually he releases on you, you know, he gets to the he gets to the height of his jump and he gets it off. He was releasing it on the way up so as to avoid getting blocked. And I don't have a problem with that, but you don't want to see him rushing his mechanics on other shots around the court either. So if it helps him get, get shots off fine. Um, If it's something that, um, you know, he can adjust away from doing it when he's not under pressure like that. Great. But you don't want him altering his entire shot mechanic in a bad way to, to get shots off in the faces of defense.
1: Yeah, I I would definitely defer to you on shot mechanics. You definitely, uh, I feel like you do a pretty good job breaking that down, Um, but I I think that, I would want him to do whatever he's been doing before this. So if you're saying this was like a deviation in what he's been doing this season, then that's terrible news, because honestly, and we talked about this before you had made a, I forget who you compared Maxie to um, either in his rookie season or after his rookie season. And I pushed back because I was like, I don't think his jump shooting will ever get to that level. And I'm as high on Maxie as anyone. So for me, where he's at jump shooting, I, I don't know exactly what, what is he? 35% somewhere around there from three right now or Maxie. Yeah. I think he's like 40%. Oh wow. It, whatever he's at, I, I could yeah, I think I even undershot him there, but whatever he's at was like yeah, this, He's 40.3% from three. That's insane. <laughs> that like that's insane to me. Like that is so far above whatever I thought his ceiling was. Like I thought his ceiling as and it's on pretty legitimate attempts. It's on like five, six attempts, right? Three and a half per game, which would I would, and venture and half, would say is uh, probably amongst yeah. amongst the team leaders, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I I I never thought he'd get to this in terms of a percentage. Like, I thought his cap was a 35, 36, 37% yeah. three point shooter. So I want him doing whatever he's been doing to get to a 40% from three clip. And oh. uh, it's impressive.
0: I'll tell you the most encouraging thing for me about Maxi's progression as a shooter or as a, just like a player in general. Um, last season, his free throw rate was 16.3%. Mm-hmm. And the average was 247 for the league. This year, he's at 234 as a free throw rate. And the league average is 23.9. So that's damn great. It means he's getting to the line. He's carving defenses up. He's figuring out how to basically forge and play through contact, which is huge for a speedy guard his side. That's how he's going to make a lot of money um, in, you know, in the NBA is, is, is getting guys to foul out, getting guys out of games with early fouls, and taking advantage of lesser def- lesser defenders. Um, and so th- that throw rates right, a huge, gr- a huge growth in his game, but, um, I would like to caution him that, you know, altering your mechanics to get, to get shots off in the face of guys is fine. Um, just if it's not working, don't let it bleed into the rest of your shooting, because that's when you have a, a problem where you have to rebuild some shots.
1: Yeah. To just one throwaway comment here because while we're on shot mechanics, I was watching, uh, Sixers first round pick Jaden Springer pretty closely last night in in, uh, in shoot around. It's a and well, it's a long wow. windup for him. It's a long wind. Wow. Up. It, but that looks worse than it looked at Tennessee, in, in my opinion. I think I it looks worse. I mean, I, I I remember thinking like
0: he has a really nice mid range mechanic. Like it, like it looks very fluid and comfortable from mid range. Um, but the problem that I see with him is like he catches it, he dips it below his waist, and then brings it up to rise into mm-hmm. the shot, which you're going to get blocked in the NBA. You mm-hmm. have to do that every time. So that's kind yeah. um. But we'll see what the future holds for him. Um,
1: Mark, any parting shots? Uh, no, nothing, nothing really. Uh, the, the one thing I had on Maxi there is just he needs reputation. I, I think that that free throw rate is directly tied with reputation. Like I think that free throw rate is going to skyrocket in year three, year four, when oh, people yeah. accept him as a 20 plus potential point per game scorer. Um, and he starts getting that respect around the league. The one thing that I think would take him from like a guy
0: that has a couple all-star appearances to a guy that's going to be like a perennial all-star is if he can find a way to add some explosion in his his athleticism and like where like he can like sky up and get over anybody, that's going to be where you're going to see a a different player because he's crafty enough around the rim where if he can can just soar through the sky and – get around everybody and and find ways to, 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 to score over bigger guys. He's going to dominate.
1: Yeah. And hope, you know, he's with clutch. So hopefully LeBron uh, takes him under his wing, you know, gives him some HGH and uh, and uh, no, I'm joking by the way. I'm a LeBron guy. I'm uh, that's literally, I can't believe I even said that. That's like my, my friends and I joke about that as a complete joke, by the way. I, I think everyone, like, like, you it's know, ML- HGH, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Like MLB steroids. Like I, in my opinion, they should all still be doing them if they want to do them, let them all in the hall of fame. You should be, you should be fine for not doing them. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. HGH, who cares? Like, I don't, yeah. you know, Kobe Bryant, I, I, I you know, I'm not going to speak ill of him at all. He was, let's not pretend like blood spinning and uh, Germany is not like anything different than HGH. Like, I, I, I think there was probably some, some, some funny business going on there, but no, I'm joking. But Maxi with clutch, you'd hope that they, uh, they would help him kind of develop some more explosiveness. And uh, I, I have full faith and the article that came out about Maxi, just to touch on that before I'm out of here, that article, I think CJ uh, Holmes wrote it yesterday and, and, and Rich Hoffman. Yeah. Rich Hoffman as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they, you know, the stuff you read in there about Maxi is like, that's everything you want to read about a player that's developing in, in your system. And he seems to be everything you'd want him to be. You know what's
0: funny is I, I saw that yesterday. I was trying to plan out my own profile of Tyrese and I just couldn't, <laughs> like, I couldn't get around to thinking about it enough to figure out the angle I wanted to go with. So when they did it, I was like, that's what you get for being slow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, Mark Henry jr. You can add his Twitter handle. Uh, no, it's Mark Henry jr. Underscore his Twitter mm-hmm. handle from pick central. He is a draft guru for our very own, the painted Lions and Fox the Gam Fox page gambler. Follow him on Twitter um mark tell us about some some gambling stuff that you do
1: yeah uh i did the tough cover podcast today i had like my i think the most bets i ever did on a podcast uh huge card today uh you know if you're an nfl fan bet the Bengals and the niners today uh it's an the dogs are barking underdogs oh i like it I, you know <laughs> what with my bad neck i might just get the heating pad and just lay in bed. yeah
0: and
1: watch that and if you want an nba bet oklahoma city thunder team total over 78 or, or no, 78 over 97 and a half
0: if you want an nba bet that you're going to regret the moment you hit it you, you hit send on it is it's betting the sixers in any fashion oh, dude I
1: had, <laughs> I had joel over 30 and a half parlayed with sixers money line last night joel hits the 30 or joel has 29 with like whatever left in the third up 24 uh and i all you know i'm thinking all i need is a bucket and we're we're home free but I underestimated. Uh, it's, it's At what point, to blow in a
0: game. The did you know I'm not going to cash unless
1: Oh, you you knew as soon as they were within four, and it kept like it kept switching, but they kept being within four, like know, Like either they would get within two and we'd score, they would get within six, and then they'd score again. It kept being like they were down four, and then incrementally they ended up taking the lead. That was as soon as I got down four, I was like, oh no. <laughs> like this is this is too familiar. I was in the building for game five. Like it, it feels the same.
0: Like, yeah, you got PTSD.
1: Ugh, yeah. Oh man.
0: All right, Mark. Thanks for hopping on, buddy, and we'll catch you later. Of
1: course, anytime.
0: yeah Do you like shotgunning beer? If you want to increase your shotgunning time at parties, check out my boys at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. It's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, you can check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. Um, and Cobra is spelled with a K. For a 10% discount on all, on all products, enter the code trustthecobra 10 all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today.